Hello, Jazz Session listeners. I am Jason Crane, host of the Jazz Session, announcing the 100 by 300 campaign. That's right, my goal is to get 100 members by the 300th show to keep the Jazz Session going, and you can join very easily. Just visit thejazzsession.com and click on either the join link at the top of the page or the one on the side of the page. There are monthly levels starting at 10 bucks a month. There are yearly levels starting at $110 a year. Please join the people who have already become members and help keep the Jazz Session going. The Jazz Session receives no external funding from any source uh, up to and including All About Jazz, and that means for me to keep doing it, I need you. Thousands and thousands of you listen to every show, and if you could find the uh, the cost of maybe two cups of coffee uh, a month in your couch cushions, you can help keep the show going for years to come. That is the 100 by 300, 100 members by the 300th show. Join now at thejazzsession.com. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is available for free at thejazzsession.com. You can also subscribe to the show in iTunes or via an RSS reader, and there are links to do both those things at thejazzsession.com. And, of course, and you should already know this, there's a link to do the most important thing of all, and that is to become a member of the show. Now listen, folks, we've got 10 members so far. I need 100 by the 300th show, and this is show number 227. So uh, we were on a, a pretty good pace uh, for the first several weeks, a couple members a week, and uh, even at 100 members at the lowest level of contribution, 10 bucks a month or $110 a year, uh, would suit me just fine. And that means if you're listening right now, I hope you'll take just a second to go to thejazzsession.com. In fact, you may already be there. And uh, click on the Join button. There's one on the left side and one along the top. And please pledge your support to the show. That's what's going to keep this show coming to you, is uh, if I can ring in 100 members by the 300th show. I'm confident I can do it. I just need you to actually be one of the people who becomes a member. Thanks. I've had Christine Jensen on the show before. If you go to thejazzsession.com and just scroll down on the left-hand side, you'll uh, you'll find her name and you can listen to her earlier appearance. And so when she released uh, her new album, Tree Lines, on Just In Time Records, I was only too happy to have her back on the show again. We're going to hear uh, right now the first tune from that record called Dancing Sunlight.
My guest is composer and saxophonist Christine Jensen. She and the Christine Jensen Jazz Orchestra have a new album on Just In Time called Tree Lines. Uh, and it's my pleasure to have Christine back on the show. Thanks for coming back. I'm so delighted to be back. I, I really, really uh, enjoy this album. And I, I always love whenever anybody releases a large ensemble album. It, to me, it always seems like a, a manifesto. Like, not only am I going to play jazz and write this music and try and get three of my friends into a studio, but I'm going to get like 20 of my friends into a studio <laughs> exactly. and record an album, no matter how crazy that is. Uh, so I guess I'll just ask the first and most obvious question, which is um, why uh, a large ensemble record? Um, well, over the years, I've written tons of small ensemble music and put out three leader CDs previously of my music with sextet and quintet and quartet. And uh, as that all was evolving with my, along with my playing, I guess um, I was constantly expanding a bunch of the small group pieces, the large ensemble, and people really liked them and they were playing them a lot. And... I was really enjoying writing the music for large ensemble, but I didn't have my own large ensemble. And then about four or five years ago, I, I kind of had to be in my bonnet to get a set worth of material, and then it just kept growing. And so it's coming a lot out of a small group situation, but then now I get to orchestrate everything for, as you said, my 19 closest friends <laughs> <laughs> to uh, expand on it. And, and also to expand the music compositionally as well to orchestrate it more and to um, do more diverse things with it. things that really struck me about this album uh, from a compositional standpoint is that the the pieces feel very organic to me i, I well while i was listening to this um the first time i was kind of imagining a, a petri dish where you start with these small cells and they divide and create something more complex and these pieces kind of remind me of that where there seems to be a a strong either you know melodic conception or some you know motif that runs through and the piece just seems to grow over the course of its life and so, so I guess maybe the question that that leads to is just to talk a little bit about 
um, and maybe even just pick one of these tunes and talk a little bit about the the compositional process and how when you're creating extended works for multiple musicians you you maintain some kind of unity throughout the piece and also find room for improvisation that's a lot in one question but yeah, I, and in fact, to go to your previous question, the word I was searching for was making more of the concept of development of my themes going through the music, not just with soloists, but with uh, the orchestration through the music. So I guess uh, man, I, it's funny you say Petri dish because I think that way sometimes, but I also think of it as I start with kind of a base, which is, the core of the tune, and I, I work around it. It's kind of like you have this beautiful tree in a garden, but you don't have the garden setting yet, and you're just building around it. So uh, that's kind of how I do it. It's sometimes some of my pieces, the middle part of the piece where the mel- melody is the strongest is where I have started. And then I've put stuff in front and on the back of it. I guess coming from that perspective is is why it it makes sense for you to sometimes adapt your small ensemble work to larger pieces is that because you already yeah, have some strong conception yeah it seems there. like i wouldn't say the small ensemble is the start of it it's just a different perspective and uh i i lean more on the the sort of action of the the members of the small group and that does occur in my large ensemble work as well especially when the soloists are playing i want that that feeling of jazz, which to me jazz is is uh, composing on the spot through your improvisations. That to me, that's the essence of this music. And what I've done is kind of built up these large, I guess, uh, landscapes for that to occur over top of it through the the musicians playing from the moment. talk about some of the the differences you experience uh as a band leader in leading an ensemble this size compared to a uh, you know a smaller ensemble oh well i guess the 
listen to me sigh. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> and I know everyone else that, that takes this beginning. route, and they do it full-time, and I don't because I go between the two of a small group and a large group. Um, but the past, definitely the past two years, I've really focused on this project because it's so near and dear to my heart and so special to me to just be able to perform a few times in a year or, you know, a handful of times in a year is just as much work as performing about 50 or 60 gigs with a small group in a year. So it's just that amount of work of organization and getting gigs. I mean, that's hard enough to get a small group gig. Try getting a large ensemble. These kind of things have become a lot bigger, a bigger process just to do any of it and uh, to find the funding as well. All that makes me think a different way, I guess, and, and it makes me be more careful about my writing because whatever I commit to, it has to be quite um, involved to get it from the pen on the paper to the band on the stage. When this band performs, do you perform in the section? Do you stand out front and conduct? Is it a mixture? How does it work for you? I uh, tend to play solos with the band where I can now. I, I dreamed that I could sit in the section. At the beginning, I was like, I, I'm a lead alto player. I'm going to sit in the section and play my music. But um, there was a point where, in fact, it was a group decision that some a lot of the work needed to be conducted through due to tempo changes or to uh, meter changes a lot. And with that, I had to start working a bit more on my conducting. <laughs> so eventually I went, okay, it's not an 18-piece ensemble anymore. It's a 19-piece ensemble. And uh, I'll just hopefully get to jump in and play some solos here and there but I, or, or some melodies as well, but not be leading a section and the band and writing the music. There was a point where I took a break and... It's it's really fun. It's a lot of work to stand in front of the band in rehearsing it, but once the band is uh, in in tune with what's happening musically, it's just such a dream to stand up there, and I can understand why people like Maria Schneider or 
Garth and James argue are doing what they do because it is just so fun when you can get to a point where the music's being executed at a really high level. I've asked this to uh, to other band leaders who lead either larger ensembles or, or just bands that are, for, for whatever reason, a, a little more difficult to get onto a stage. And that the, the question is about how easy it is to separate everything that went into making that performance happen uh, to kind of separate yourself from that and just be present in the performance itself. Is that something that you find challenging? Is it easy for you? Um, it's kind of a dreamy thing. And, uh, again, there was a part of me that had to let loose, I think, and, and let the band speak without me. I guess there's a level of controlling the ensemble. And there was a point where once I, I was comfortable with the music and I knew they were comfortable with it, I could relax. And, and it really, it's like you just are, you have the best seat in the house and it's a physical thing at the same time because it's physical to play an instrument, but it's also physical to direct an ensemble without an instrument. So they're two very different things, two different energies going on. It's kind of like getting my voice muted in a way, but it's coming out through... 19 other voices instead of my voice just being on stage with me playing. I don't, am I explaining this well? I think I think so. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm a player that's also doing this and it's, uh, I don't know, there's so many great things about either side of it. There was a, a phrase in the, in the uh, the small essay that you put in the liner notes, um, where it says uh, a large part of my process as a composer has included orchestrating some stories from my life. Can you talk more about that? Oh gosh, yeah. And uh, luckily, I've I have dear family that I orchestrate for. But um, definitely, this album is a compilation of many stories of my life of of the views I've had in my life of the extraordinary beauty of nature that's been in front of me and being able to, I gravitate toward writing about it and uh, I, I get inspired not just by music but by uh, writers, especially Canadian writers that 
speak to me. A lot of women writers and uh, other people's music has inspired mine as well, obviously, like anyone else. But um, mainly, I would say, just the cat capturing of of nature through music. Music is nature. Kind of goes around in a circle <laughs> for me. So, how does, uh, for example, the um, the first. Uh several pieces on here are directly referencing trees even in the titles and the whole thing has a a, a very yeah. natural feel to it but um you know it's it's easy to imagine how a a painter or a poet might directly or explicitly express the natural things around them either you know through painting a landscape or describing it in poetry for music that seems to be a, a, a bit more of a challenge can you talk about how you approach kind of encapsulating some part of the natural world in a composition? Um, yeah, it's wow, that's a difficult question. I don't exactly start composing and saying, I'm going to compose about this tree. It seems to be, uh, I'll use my tree thing as an example, because the first piece is called Dancing Sunlight, and in fact, I, I wrote that scrap there's all these scraps that come together and in the end I just the beauty of the piece also reminded me a lot of a, a painter from the west coast named Emily Carr a real impressionist painter from the turn of the century back in the other century and um, that to me it was just this long kind of the piece is a long conversation about one of her her concept of painting which are these capturing these images of the dark forest and, and the beauty of it, but at the same time, it's really exciting how she gets inside the light of these places and capturing the sort of grandiose scheme of things with these huge trees. So, I mean, that's the first piece, and then the second piece is a little more lighthearted because it's Arbutus, which is an actual tree from the West Coast that is kind of a funny tree, so there's a little bit more more humor and speed in the piece. I don't know how to describe it. But they I didn't put titles on the pieces first. I would just write and then it seemed to match one of my like my one of my images of trees at that time that I was writing all that music. So it took a few years to write all that. <laughs> I'm getting inside the pieces a bit, but that's uh where it sort of comes from. The person who uh who has the most uh, individual solo space on this record um, is your sister Ingrid Jensen. Can you talk about uh, why you wanted to use her on this album? Um, yeah, well, she's been a real um, someone who has taken my music out to the world through her own excursions of playing, and uh, I think it was just so natural to I hear her voice on so much of my music, and I I might be sitting there with the paper composing, but I think she's also got this sort of voice to add to my music that we're just so entwined with our careers and our our lives that and have so much affinity for the same things yet at the same time have taken a few different directions with our lives and our music so it's really been a joy to put her on top of all of this with her voice and i think once i described it as just being able to put your rest your head on a this really perfect pillow is what Ingrid does 
in settling my music. It's just like, ah, oh, there we go. Her voice is a big part of it. And I was really happy she could take part in this project of putting the band together and putting her on top of it with her, her wonderful communication with her trumpet. I've often heard people say uh, that that no one harmonizes together singing like family members. And I think <laughs> the last time you were on the show, um, I think you mentioned something about maybe like Lee Konitz listening to the two of you play together or, or recording the two of you together and saying you, you thought you had something very special together. And so I, I guess uh, it seems like that idea of, of harmonizing together, of, of playing together with a, a similar uh, kind of mental space applies to you two, even though you're instrumentalist rather than, than vocalist. Absolutely. I mean, we could probably do a concert of just us playing together, the two of us, between me running around the piano or playing the saxophone and her doing the same thing with the trumpet. And uh, we just, it's kind of like we're having a conversation together that's really in tune. But uh, yeah, it kind of reminds me of the folk world, how so many uh, siblings get together and sing we're kind of like that with the trumpet and saxophone and jazz, if that's possible. It is. Look at all the brothers that grew up together playing and ended up being uh, great musicians, doing their own projects, but also playing together, like the Adderley brothers and the Jones brothers. You know, it's the same. You're just coming from the same space. It's so innate to be working together at times. talk a little bit about uh, the scene in Montreal it's uh, something I don't really know much about it and to be honest as I was going through the names of the people in this band there were only maybe four or five that I had any familiarity with um, yeah, you know which is as much my own ignorance as anything else but I'm, I'm in, interested to hear more about it yeah and I would say that 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 roster of musicians is a bit more of the Anglo scene of Montreal rather than although 
all those guys are playing in both the French side and the English side. Not that they're sides, but it's just really easy for us all to have a lot in common, mainly because of the schools, I guess. Like, McGill University is there, and that's where a lot of those people on that album, that's where my history and my my growing up in music came from playing with a lot of those guys. So that was really fun to put them on the album. Like, um, most of the trumpet players I've worked with for many years. Trombones, not so much. That was a bit of a newer section. And then the saxophone players, it was just so fun to, to bring out some great soloists that I think don't always get recognized outside of this very kind of... Uh, it's a bit of a scene within Montreal that is happening with these great players. All I want everyone to be able to hear them more, hopefully, through my music. When I was uh, listening to this album the first couple of times before I had read the liner notes, um, one of the, the names that popped into my head was, was Bob Mincer, and I was thinking about some of his early large <laughs> ensemble compositions. And then I read the liner notes, and I read your section of it, and there, Bob Mincer's name popped up. So uh, I don't know how how direct an influence um, he is on this, but I'd be interested oh, to hear your thoughts on it. That's so funny, because there's definitely a, a, co- a college phase I went through of Bob Mincer where I didn't necessarily have any of his recordings, but we played his charts so much, and it was kind of a post to Sad Jones Mel Lewis step that you took because Maria, Maria's charts weren't coming in at the time yet, or even Jim McNeely or those kind of people that were the next generation coming out of the the Thad Jones, Mel Lewis book, but it sort of went Count Basie and then Thad Jones, and then who's next? Well, it was Minzer at the time, and he he definitely influenced me. Was he has kind of a pop influence as well as jazz in his orchestrations, I think. One of my favorite uh, sounds, just in terms of, of putting different timbres together is the sound of the soprano saxophone over a large ensemble. And I think my favorite moment of kind of individual brilliance on this record is is your solo in, in Sea Fever. Thank you. 
I'm, I'm guessing just from some things I hear on the album that the sound of a soprano saxophone over a large ensemble is appealing to you too. <laughs> yeah, that probably comes out of uh, hearing Dick Oates on again right. <laughs> uh, the Brookmeyer album that the, the Vanguard band did. I mean, that was such an influence for me. But and he is an influence for me, and I was so lucky because he actually got to work. I worked with him uh, la- not this fall, but last fall in. Sweden, and he played a bunch of this music, and I was just in heaven having someone like that playing my music. So, yeah, definitely. So the soprano to me is—it's a really nice kind of depending. You know, it's it's a fragile instrument to to choose for certain reasons and stigmas, but at the same time, it's done. I guess the way I hear it, I just love playing over a big band with it. Yeah, no one would describe your solo on Sea Fever as fragile. That's that's for sure. Um, I, I remembering that this is airing on uh, the twenty third. I guess um, are there some upcoming either large or small ensemble performances that you want to mention? Um, oh, we have a few exciting events in the future. Uh, Ingrid and I are going to do a residency at Banff Center. And with a brass quintet, so I'm going to be reorchestrating some of these pieces for brass quintet and us and percussion. And then uh, March 7th, we're playing at Dizzy's in New York with the Christine Jensen Jazz Orchestra with a mix of Montreal and New York players. Oh, wow. That's really exciting. That's Monday, yeah, March 7th. And I also have a small group performance in February at a great club in Montreal called Upstairs Jazz Club, and it's just always packed. And it's such jazz club; it's hard to find them these days. But it's a great place, and I'm going to work there with George Colligan in small group. Fantastic! And is he playing piano or organ on that gig, or both? He's playing piano. Okay, great. Yeah, so I'm bringing him in, and he's he's always been really generous in in spreading my compositions as well or his he's just always been he's like we have to do a gig i love your music so finally it's happening that's great yeah are there some things i haven't asked you about that you wanted to mention i think that's it i, I guess uh, on this album uh, one note is that my husband contributed such a great piece called drop off which i love where it's placed on the album and everything. I think of the album as um, a bit of a book of short stories, I guess, and his it nicely lands in the middle after these long stories about trees. We get one about uh, his experience of having some wonderful time with uh, my sister and myself, where we grew up on the West Coast. So he's, he's from the East Coast, and he was like, okay, I'm going to write a piece that captures what you guys got. That's sort of a big, it's called Drop Off, and it's on the album, and I just love that piece of it as well. And he contributes uh, some really brilliant playing, too, and the he is Joel Miller that we're talking about. Yes, Joel Miller on the tenor and soprano saxophone as well. Fantastic. My guest is Christine Jensen. She has a a new album with uh, the Christine Jensen Jazz Orchestra called Tree Lines, featuring Ingrid Jensen, and it's on Just In Time Records. Uh, It's been so great to to talk to you again. Uh, Congratulations on all the things that are happening for you professionally and personally, and thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much. Great talking to you. You too, Christine. Take care. Bye-bye.
That's music from the Christine Jensen Jazz Orchestra featuring trumpeter Ingrid Jensen and the new album Tree Lines on Just In Time Records. I'm Jason Crane. This is the Jazz Session presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is available for free at thejazzsession.com. You can also become a member of the show, and I hope that you will. Just visit thejazzsession.com and click on the Join link to uh, become a member. Thanks. Speaking of thank yous, my thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show. They've got a bunch of great albums, all of which are available at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who uh, supplied the Jazz Sessions logo. Please get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.